0: Trail Learning. This is Blake Bowles. I met West Beach at a homeschooling conference in Northern California about a decade ago, and I was immediately captivated by his story of being a public school teacher who saw that it was not working for a lot of his kids, leaving the system and starting a one-man high school out of his home office, essentially taking advantage of California law to declare his house a private school, which is what most homeschoolers do to make themselves legal in California. And then going a step farther and putting together really professional transcripts and diplomas for the young people who enrolled in Beach High School, which is, again, just his home office. It's just Wes and a computer. And through Beach High School, he has helped over 1,500 young people get out of unengaging school situations and start living their lives. This often means going to college, but it also means going straight into careers, traveling the world, continuing their self-directed learning just freeing themselves from compulsory education. So he's a really inspiring story of how one person can make a difference. To find Beach High School online, go to beachhigh.education. And as always, you can support this show and my other work of advocating for self-directed learning at Patreon, patreon.com slash Bowles. And you can find everything else related to me and my work at blakebowls.com. Now, without further ado... I bring you Wes. I'm here with West Beach in the world headquarters of Beach High School. Welcome, Wes. Thank you. Uh, there's not too many other people here in the high school. There's not too many kids here. What's In fact, we seem to just be in an office in your home. What's going on here? I, I thought you had a high school.
1: I do have a high school, and Beach High School is nothing more than this home office, but it's entirely legal under California law, and... People seldom, very seldom come here. Um, often I'm dealing with students that I never meet in person. In a few instances, I've met people long after I've worked with them, and some of them become very close friends. Um, most of my students are local. They typically come here once or twice. We talk about what they need to do. We take care of it. Sometimes it can be taken care of very, very quickly, and sometimes it requires work over a long period of time, and sometimes
0: students are enrolled for a long period of time. Sometimes they're not. Okay. So Beach High School is a place for non-traditional students to come and essentially work with you. You're the only teacher, the only staff member here, and you produce something that helps them get into college. Is that typically what you do?
1: Well, it's a little broader than that. I typically help them get where they want to go if where they want to go is not to a traditional high school. Hmm. And that means sometimes people are school leavers, They've gone to a traditional high school for a period of time and they've decided it's just not for them. Or um, they've skipped high school entirely in some cases. Or they've been homeschooled up to a point. Or maybe they've been homeschooled for a traditional four years. But then they come to me because they want to go to college and they need documentation. Or more typically, people are younger and they want to go to a community college because they haven't done the coursework get them directly into a four-year school, so they go to a community college and transfer, and I make that possible by providing them with a diploma and a narrative transcript. If people want to go directly to a four-year college, I provide a much more traditional kind of transcript based on what people have done, possibly partly in a school and possibly uh, independently, and in some cases, almost entirely independently. Mm -hmm. There are some other people who simply don't want to go to college. They want to end their formal education after homeschooling, after a couple of years in high school. And those people have gone on to do all kinds of really interesting things. They've Mm -hmm. become dancers. They've become photographers. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of my graduates is a circus performer. Uh, Another one is a professional rock climber. And uh, the people who have gone to college have become doctors and lawyers frequently, almost always, as a matter of fact, without benefit of a traditional high school education.
0: So you seem like somebody who just opens doors yes. for young people and you facilitate transitions yes. from non-traditional backgrounds into uh, career and college. Exactly right. Got it. And what do you do that families, like homeschooling families, for example, can't do for themselves?
1: Nothing, um, at least in California. And this frequ- uh, when I speak at conferences, there is frequently a question along these lines. And my answer is, You can do everything I can do, at least in California you can. It's different in different states. But in California, a homeschooling family can do anything I can do. And the only advantage I have is that I've got lots of experience and lots of practice. And so I can probably do it much more quickly, uh, possibly better, but I can't guarantee that. (laughs) And it's just like, it's for the same reason that I send my stuff to an accountant for income taxes. I hate the details. I even hate getting everything ready to send to my accountant. My accountant knows all the ins and outs of the laws and so on, especially with the new so-called tax reform policies. And so I turn it over to her because she's the expert. She has the practice. She knows all the laws. She knows all the ins and outs. And I don't, so I let her do it. And that's me.
0: So you are a one-man high school. You are are Beach High School. Exactly right. And students don't actually show up here. Often... Well, they infrequently
1: show up here. And the the people who do show up here show up once, twice, three times, once in a great while, there'll be somebody who wants uh, advising and wants to talk very frequently, but that very seldom happens. As a matter of fact, I had one student who came to me after a year or two in high school. She wanted to go to the local community college. I made that possible. And she said, you know what? I know I want to do this, but I find it's pretty scary And I'm going to want to talk to you through the first semester at the community college. So I said, that's fine. That's perfectly fine. And she went to the community college. She got enrolled. She got signed up for classes. And then she called me up and she said, you know what? I don't think we need to talk. This is fine. (laughs) And that's been pretty typical for the rare person who has said they want ongoing talks. It has Mm -hmm. very. has almost
0: never happened. Because mostly students show up and they just hang around for a few weeks or right. a few months. Right. And they want to come in, they want to work with you as quickly as possible right. and then get the documentation that they think they need to go on to college or to start doing community college exactly, or right. start a job yes. that needs some sort of transcript. yes. And so, I mean, does anyone ever say, West, you're just running a diploma mill? Oh, yes. You're like the University of Phoenix here.
1: Uh Yes, my mother is now deceased, but prior to her death, she accused me of running a diploma mill. <laughs> and my response to her after multiple accusations, I mean, they were friendly accusations, but nevertheless, that's what she said. And my response was, well, yes, from a traditional t- standpoint, that's probably a pretty accurate assessment of what I'm doing. Uh, but I deeply believe in it. And I've now graduated more than 1,500 people. They've gone on and they've been enormously successful in all kinds of endeavors, from the professions to professional athletics to the arts. And uh, I have no doubt that a determined, confident person who has a fair amount of self knowledge about what they're about and where they're headed is going to succeed regardless of how much traditional high school they've done. And in some cases, that has been none for some of the students i worked with. I got started doing this work because of my son, who clearly showed at a very early age that he was a natural mathematician. And the end result was that he skipped junior high school, he skipped senior high school, Uh, he went to the community college locally when he was 10, and he wound up with his bachelor's two weeks after his 17th birthday and I felt that I could probably find other people who could profit
0: from doing the same thing. And as a matter of fact, I found a lot of them. But that's just an exception to the rule, right? The academic savants are not your main crowd. The kids who can you know, graduate with a bachelor's degree before they turn 18, that's not the majority of, of the students who you work with, correct?
1: No, I work with a number of students like that. But mm-hmm. no, the majority of my students... Um, I would say they are characterized by being independent and stubborn. Hmm. Uh, they know themselves. If they're in a traditional high school and, and they don't like it, they know why they don't like it. They know why it's not a fit. And they simply have the confidence to go on and um, do whatever they're interested in doing, whether it's non-academic or academic or professions or something else. They know what they're about and they know where they're headed. Although, I have worked with a number of students who, well, the only thing they know is they hate high school and they want to do something different. And those people find their way next, the following year or four years later or whenever. But I have, I don't know of any student who has failed to find a solid and meaningful direction
0: not long after I worked with them. How long have you been running Beach High School?
1: I started Beach High School in 1993. Actually, I started it 11 years before that, 11 or 12 or 13 years before that, because while I was working in a traditional public high school, I set myself also up as a private high school. And I was doing stuff for my students in the high school, in the other high school that I couldn't do, because that high school is bound by volumes of the education code, which requires this and this
0: and that and that. The, the public high school the where you pub- were working. Exactly. And, and what level teacher were you, and what subjects were you teaching? I
1: was teaching in a traditional high school, grades 9 through 12, and I taught a variety of subjects, although it was mostly uh, science and math. Uh, science entirely at the end, I taught a little bit of uh, English along the way. I started as a teacher of, non-college prep science, and beginning algebra. Um, I did that for a number of years. I took over teaching chemistry when the chemistry teacher left the school. After a few years of that, I decided that I was doing more harm than good. Um, And so I gave up chemistry, and I went back to teaching non-college prep science classes.
0: And at some point in this process, you started Beach High School as this sort of hidden subversive uh, shadow school. And, <laughs> and and did you start graduating students through your own? Because for those of you who don't know, in California, anyone can fill out a single piece of paper and declare their home to be a private school. This is how homeschoolers exist in California. Essentially, their families say, our home is a private school, and so we are meeting compulsory education laws. And then the parents can say, okay, I am issuing a diploma uh, from whatever, Blake High School at Blake Bowles' house. And so this is essentially what you did. You did what any family can do in California, but you were taking all of your experience in the public school system and kind of doing it better, as you told me before.
1: Well, that's exactly right. I mean, any parent can do what I can do, as I've said before. And the legalities are you have to have a curriculum and you have to have an attendance poly or the essentials. And there's a few other basic things. And as long as you have those things on file, uh, you are a school. And the paperwork you, you send to the state does not create a school. You've already created a school if you've got the curriculum and the attendance policy and a few other things. The document that you send to the school is simply a notification to the state that you have a school. And they have no oversight No no, one's coming to
0: check your curriculum.
1: No one's coming to check. Uh, No one has the right. The homeschool association that I belong to tells parents and me and everyone who's interested that if somebody comes to the door uh, and says, we're here to audit or look over your school, you send them away because they have no legal right to do that. Mm.
0: California, the wild, wild west. Yeah, exactly right. Okay, so bring us back to your time as a public school teacher. What inspired you to start your own little shadow school. What, what drove you there?
1: Well, it was a long series of experiments, of running experiences, of running a, an alternative program way back in the 1960s uh, to getting my son through school, to looking to see what was happening at Soquel High School. And finally, when my son got his bachelor's, I thought, well, there are probably other people who can profit from some kind of alternative, not necessarily, as you pointed out, the academic acceleration that he did. But there certainly seems to be a need for some kind of alternative because many of these students are not profiting from what they're experiencing. Uh, They're not being treated well by the school. And in some cases, they're being treated very badly by the school. And so I had gradually, over time, learned about what was possible under the law. And I went and set up my own school. And for a while, I was doing things for the students at my public high school uh, that the school couldn't do, again, because they're bound by reams and reams, of, reams of, exten- yeah. of the California Education Code, whereas private schools are governed by a couple of pages, literally. And so, for example, uh, my students came to me and said, well, as a matter of fact, I told my students, I said, according to the policies of this school, you can take any course by exam. So they didn't like driver's ed because they thought it was really boring and really slow-moving, and it was a semester of classroom experience, and they came to me and said, we want to take this. Well, actually, they didn't come to me first. They went to the driver's ed instructor, and they said to the driver's ed instructor, we want to take this class by exam. And he said, well, I'll give you this series of quizzes, and then I'll give you the exam. And they said to the driver's ed instructor, no, 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 no. The policy says an exam. Well, he held fast, and so they came to me and said, what can we do? And I said, well, maybe you can go to one of the other high schools, uh, which will allow you to do this by exam. And so we went to the principal, and he said, no, you can't do that. So I went down and set myself up as a school, which, as we pointed out, is extremely easy to do. And then I made up a letterhead, and I sent it to the Department of Motor Vehicles, and I said, okay, send me whatever I need to teach driver's ed. So they sent me driver's booklets of laws, and forms, and so on and so forth. And so I went back to my classroom, and this is for my gifted students initially. And I said, okay, guys, here's the deal. I'm going to give you this booklet of laws. You study the laws. You tell me when you're ready. And then I will give you a test. And if you pass the test, I will write out this piece of paper that says you can go get your provisional driver's license. And that piece of paper
0: would have been from Beach High School? No.
1: No, yeah, for, oh, yes, yes, yeah, yeah. yes, of course. You're it doing was. this through the
0: subversive shadow yes, school. Right, exactly
1: yeah. right. So I had to have these students fill out a form, an enrollment form, so they were enrolled <laughs> in my school.
0: Okay, so you had your public school science students, high school students, right. and they were complaining about driver's ed. Right. And you said, I'm going to set up a driver's ed class through my own private, you know, school in my house. Right. And I will give you the materials. You have to sign up for my school. I'm using air quotes right now. Right. And then you just study at your own pace and then take the exam. Right. And then you have earned your driver's license, not license, but uh, you've taken your driver's training course through Beach High School. Right. And I filled out a certificate that said so. We're just that simple. What did the school district think about these activities?
1: Well, let me tell you one other thing I did. This I'll do this quickly. Uh, There's a test in California called the California High School Proficiency Exam, and the eligibility requirements are that you're either 16 by the day of the test, or you are in the second semester of the 10th grade, or you have finished the 10th grade. And I had younger students who wanted to take the test. So again, I enrolled them in my high school. I filled out the paperwork. Uh, I waved my magic administrator wand and said, I just placed you in the 11th grade. (laughs) And so they were eligible to take the test. So they went off and took the test, got their certificate. The certificate allowed them to leave school legally, and if they wanted to, go to the local community college. So I started doing that too. And that was all fine because, again, as you pointed out, this was still pretty much a shadow operation. I don't think the principal or anybody else was completely aware of what I was doing. Mm-hmm. But then I took my first student away from the public high school Ooh, where I is was teaching. this when it teaching. gets real. Yes, exactly right. And it became my student solely. And so that really hit the fan. You know what hit the fan. (laughs) And um, it was charged of conflict of interest. I was hauled down to the superintendent's office, and read the riot act because I was in conflict of interest. I made the serious mistake of going into that meeting by myself behind a closed door with the superintendent. I should have gone with an attorney. But I didn't find out until after that meeting that in California, a public institution can accuse people of conflict of interest if they have written a conflict of interest policy. And the school district didn't have such a policy. But they nevertheless accused me of conflict of interest. Uh, One thing led to another. Um, The principal who wanted to nominate me for state teacher of the year one year turned around the next year and started writing bad evaluations. I strongly suspect he was told by the district to do that, although I don't know that for a fact. And things just kept getting worse and worse and worse until the point where I had to go to meetings at the school with my attorney to defend myself. And at that point, he said, okay, I'm out of here, and resigned, and that was the beginning of my full-time work with Beach High School. Okay, what year was that? 93, when I resigned. We're, yeah. not, we're not recording that right.
0: But we're always recording. Oh, sorry. That's okay. I'll ask again. So what year was that, that you resigned? I resigned in 1993. And did you take students, more students with you who knew you as a public high school teacher? A, and you very, said-
1: a very few. Yes. Uh, what saved me? Well, actually, um, for one semester, I went on unpaid leave to see what I could do, uh, working on my own. But, uh, Not long after I started that leave, I got seriously ill and wound up spending four months in the hospital. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So I really didn't have a chance to practice while I was still employed by the school district. So at the end of that semester, I just resigned. It still took me a couple of months to get my strength back. And then I started to work independently, entirely, and full-time through my school. I was lucky because at the high school, I had established a reputation for myself. And uh, it was not good in some quarters, but it was very good in others. And um, so when I resigned and went home and wondered what was going to happen next, my phone just started ringing. Hmm. And that's the beginning of Beach High School.
0: You didn't didn't have a marketing plan. You didn't have to advertise. I had no
1: business plan. I had no marketing plan. I didn't do any advertising. I just started working with the kids who called me up. Not too long after that, I got affiliated with the Homeschooling Association of California. They sponsored me in giving talks all over California. I began speaking at their conference. And although I started every talk by saying, I am not here to acquire new students, I am here to tell you that you can do what I do, and here's what I do. Nevertheless, those talks always yielded some students. Hmm. Um, Then I got affiliated with the Davidson Institute in Reno, and uh, that spread the word. I wrote some articles for them. I wrote some articles for the Homeschooling Association, which goes by HSC, and those articles prompted uh, new students. And then I started showing up on other people's websites. And then I was invited to speak at two or three conferences in other states. And I was invited to Minneapolis to spend two or three days with a homeschooling group there and talk to parents and to give talks. And all of those things led to my name being known. Mm -hmm. And that, of course, always yielded students. Mm -hmm. So one thing just led to another. And as I said, I've never had to advertise. I've never had to solicit students so they just come to me.
0: What has always fascinated me about your story is that there are so many public school teachers and private school teachers, too, who feel like the system is not serving kids. But when they think, how can I do this? How can I continue working with kids? But in a a way that feels better to me, in a way that really serves their interests, they look out and see very few options. And there are a number who have gone off to start self-directed learning centers or democratic free schools. But that is a really big thing to do. And that takes a team and setting up a nonprofit and just a lot of time and energy and money. And what you've essentially done is started a one man business with no overhead. And you get to work directly with students and you get to do really important stuff for them. You get to open doors to college and to career and you get to coach them. It seems like very meaningful work and it also pays you. Is this accurate? Have you enjoyed this work as much as I imagine you have? I've loved this work. I've absolutely loved this work.
1: And at this point in time, after having graduated 1,500 and some students, I love hearing back from students. Um, I've made some really good friends from my former students. One of my former students is my best friend. And um, it's just extremely rewarding to sweat and stay up late sometimes and uh, meet deadlines. I had to meet a really unreasonable deadline, but I was quite willing to do it because I was very fond of this young, young woman uh, in order to write it more or less well. A semi-traditional look, looking transcript for a woman, young woman who had done a very, very non-traditional series of things throughout her high school years. And we still have to get all the reports back, but what I understand as of an email yesterday is that five of the colleges she applied to. She applied to a total of 13, but she's been accepted at four of the five colleges that she's heard from. So I'm just
0: enormously pleased by that. And it just makes my day when I hear stuff like that. Let's dig into that because you've worked with 1,500 students. I imagine the majority of them have gone on to some form of four-year college. And so you've been here in the trenches since the mid-90s when I'm sure colleges were much less aware of homeschoolers or alternative school students, to today when it seems like there is a a pretty large awareness on the part of most colleges. And I'd like to get your take on what is it that makes a non-traditional student more successful in getting into competitive four-year colleges and universities?
1: Well, I think the trick is to send documents to the four-year colleges and universities that will be different and what they look at. Uh, The young woman that I just mentioned has an eight-page transcript. I have written transcripts that run up to 15, 16 pages. And they include a tremendous amount of detail because, at least initially when I was sending out transcripts, this is an unknown school. It's unaccredited. Beach High School is an unknown school. Unaccredited. Yes, exactly right. And um, these people have done very non-traditional work. I mean, the the extent to which their work has been non-traditional varies from one student to the next. And even those people who have done traditional work have done at least a significant piece of it in non-traditional ways. And so my feeling at the beginning, and I'm still doing this, and that is to write in a tremendous amount of detail so that when a college looks at a transcript, they can understand that this is to be taken seriously. It is so convincing, is my hope, that nobody is going to worry a whole lot about the fact that these are non-traditional uh, students these are this is a non-traditional transcript but it has to be there has to be enough detail in it so that it is convincing so that people will take it seriously
0: and give me some examples of these non-traditional experiences uh, one thing i can imagine is a homeschool class again putting air quotes on this where parents help their teenager learn something uh, or it could just be a self-directed learning experience where the teenager teaches herself something and then you give it a title and you help her write up a paragraph explaining what happened during this time period. I mean, how else do these non-traditional experiences look, the ones that you are making seem very official?
1: Well, I will give you an example. I will give you two examples from one student, one student that you know. Um, This young lady went to a on one of your adventures, one of your unschooled adventures to Australia. And I gave her course credit for that. Uh, it was something like the culture and history or the culture and geography of Australia. I don't remember exactly and, what it was. And I, I can attest it.
0: that we, we did no formal studies of, of history or culture or geography or anything else on that trip.
1: Right. Yeah. But nevertheless, whether or not you do formal studies, it's my belief that if somebody goes to Australia and spends a week or 10 days or whatever length of period of time. Yeah. Se- seven weeks. Yeah. Okay, well, yeah. Seven weeks. Okay, well, seven weeks. I can't believe that a, a person can be in a country they're unfamiliar with for seven weeks and not soak up some of the culture and not understand the geography because you traveled all over the, all over the continent, as I understand it. Mm-hmm. And so I gave that experience a course title. I gave her a grade. Actually, she gave herself a grade. And we determine the number of credits that she should get. And my feeling about credits is it has very little to do with time spent. It has to do with the impact on the student of that experience. And I have said that I have read single sentences out of a book that have had tremendous impact Mm -hmm. on me. And I don't give people lots of credit for single sentences. But I don't spend a lot of time worrying about how much time has been spent. What I think is important is what did this person gain from this experience? And so the student and I negotiate about the number of credits. The grades are essentially self-assigned, which I don't argue with unless I think it's off base. And that's what the transcript is composed of. There's a course list up front that just lists course grades and credits. At the end, there's a GPA and total number of credits. And then what follows that is a paragraph or longer description of everything that was done independently. The second thing, in addition to the trip to Australia that this young woman did, is she just read a whole bunch of stuff about alternative education, traditional people like John Holt and A.S. Neil of Summerhill and so on. And I think my single favorite course title from every student I worked with. Is the course title we wrote for that, which was Studies in Alternative Education. I mean, what could be more appropriate for a student in alternative education? Very meta,
0: very reflective.
1: To study alternative education. (laughs) Now, in addition to that, this young lady had (laughs) done some coursework at California State University Sacramento. Uh, So, how can you argue with somebody who's writing these? enormously evocative descriptions of the things that she's done independently, like reading a lot about going to, alter- learning about a lot about altern- alternative education and going to Australia and is also knocking off A's in college courses in Sacramento. She also had
0: solid test scores. So that turns out to be a convincing mix. So coming back to my question about getting into competitive colleges, do you feel that this mix is necessary of having some sort of formal coursework, like going to a community college, uh, plus decent test scores on SAT, for example, plus a self-directed learning, a sort of unique background, which you help the person write up through these narrative course descriptions? Well,
1: I would argue with the plus in terms of college courses plus test scores. My feeling is that, well, in talks that I give about to homeschoolers about writing their own transcripts, I say it's an, it's a, an inverse relationship. Um, the less traditional work has been done, fewer traditional courses, the more documentation needs to accompany the transcript. Hmm. And if there's been a substantial amount of formal coursework, then I don't think much additional documentation is necessary at all. But on the other hand, if a lot of independent work has been done, It seems to me that then that needs to be accompanied by a tremendous amount of detail so that, as I said, it's convincing. It needs to be convincing. And what I've said to people is there needs to be something in your background and on your transcript that is stuff that traditional colleges typically look for, good test scores. That alone will do it. I had one student who never went to any school, any traditional school, K through 12. Uh, She audited a bunch of graduate courses at UC San Francisco, which is the (laughs) University of California's uh, medical complex and is highly regarded around the world. Uh, She did lab work there, real lab work. I mean, not cookbook kind of stuff that you do in chemistry classes, but she joined a team, a research team, and did real research work at the University of San Francisco or University of California, San Francisco, starting when she was 12. Uh, I was really impressed when I first met her about what she had done. And then she started taking the SAT and knocking off 800s. And I thought, well, okay, everything she's done has been independent, but she
0: can back it up with 800s on the SAT. So what else does anybody need? Yeah, I, yeah I don't think she needs much else. And she sounds like one of those academic savants who, if she's doing real lab work at age 12, is, is an outlier.
1: Right, exactly. And And well, and to... Sum up that story, she got into a number of schools, including UC Berkeley and MIT, and she went to MIT.
0: I am not surprised. What what about everyone else, the more middle-of-the-road self-directed learners? Do you find that it's the test scores plus a little bit of college coursework, which are required if they want to get into a competitive college? Or or can you be a full-on unschooler and not do any tests, no SAT, not do any coursework? and still have a hope of getting into, well, any college? I think there's a lot of parents who are really concerned about that question.
1: Uh, The pause is because I'm trying to think of anyone who has had nothing outside of independent homeschool work. And I can't think of anyone. And I think a good part of that results from the fact that many colleges require you to take tests for freshman admission. And so I don't have to urge people to take tests. They have to take tests to get into as freshmen to a four-year school. And that brings up another issue. The majority of my students do not go directly to a four-year college because the majority of my students are young. They're 14, 15, or 16. And they've either burned out in high school, or they've done enough homeschooling, or they want to do college work along with their homeschooling. And the people who want a diploma from me graduate with a transcript that's pure narrative. It doesn't have courses and grades and credits on it. Pure narrative, it gets them into community colleges, at least in California, and it works in some other states, not all other states. And they go to a community college. And the reason they need to do that is because they need to build up a set of traditional courses that they normally would have done in high school because many, many colleges insist on having these traditional courses. Mm -hmm. And it's in English, it's in science, it's in social studies, it's in foreign language and it's in math. And um, so that's what the majority of white students do. They, they go fairly early to a community college. They establish a solid record there. And in many, many instances, in the majority of cases that I've experienced, They can get into a four-year school by basing their application only on their community college record. It has nothing to do with what they did or did not do in high school. I've had people who've skipped high school entirely and gone to a community college, established a a very solid record, and have gone on to four-year schools as transfer students. And to give you one very, very quick example, I had an unhappy young lady come to me when she was a junior at a local high school, She was getting D's and F's. She went to the local community college.
0: She got a 3.8 and she went to UC Berkeley. So the message here is that everyone needs to do at least a little bit of traditional coursework, typically through community college, in order to have a winning chance of getting into a decent four-year university. That is probably true. Although, as I said, I wish
1: I could think about this longer because there may be somebody that I work with. Maybe there have been a few people I work with who don't have those kinds of things, but I can't, I can't think of a single one. Yeah,
0: and if you've worked with 1,500 students, that probably indicates something. Well, it indicates that I can't remember all 1,500 of them. <laughs> You're right. That's the only thing it can 100% indicate. So I want to ask you about the students who did not go on to four-year college, the ones who went on and went directly into some sort of career or pursuit of an interest Which stories stand out for you of the students you've graduated from Beach High School?
1: Well, I think the one that I have told and related to to the most is a young man who came to me when he was 15 years old. Um, He was already the men's, not the boys. I'm not sure there is a boys, but he came to me when he was already the men's national rock climbing champion. And he didn't want to sit in a desk in a school. He wanted to go climb rocks which uh, I graduated him so that he was free of compulsory education. He went and climbed rocks and there was a period of time and I'm not sure whether it's still the case or not, but there was still a period of time where you could pick up rock and ice magazine or you could pick up climbing magazine and you could always find something in one of those magazines about him, either an article written about him or a sponsored product that he was sponsoring. And the articles were often about things he had done that nobody on the face of this planet had ever done before. He would, he'd he gone and done, I don't know what the numbering system is, but there's, there's a, a number that you get like 15.6.7, and that probably has no relation to what it actually is like. But climbs are rated according to how difficult they are. And he went to France fairly early on after he graduated from me And he did a climb that nobody else had been able to do before. And he's done things like that on a number of occasions. And interestingly enough, shortly after he did, did that, he went to Japan and he didn't climb rocks. He went on a walking tour of dozens and dozens of monasteries because he was interested in the spiritual aspects of what he was experiencing there. And he doesn't consider rock climbing for fame and he doesn't consider it. Uh, a way of earning money, although he earns money by doing this, Uh, he considers rock climbing his path to spiritual and personal growth. Hmm. And at one point I caught up with him and found out what he was doing, and he he was the co-owner or possibly the sole owner, I don't remember, of a gym in Los Angeles. Well, at the moment he's living in Spain. Uh, He's married, and uh, he's living a happy life there. And he's still world-renowned.
0: And so I'm thinking, this kid wants to do so many big things, and he's stuck in high school. And essentially, you see all the potential that he has, which was born out by experience, and you freed him. You you said, here, here's your high school diploma. You're done. Go do all this cool stuff, which you are ready to do right now. Right, exactly right.
1: And I can tell you real quickly about a couple of other 15-year-olds. Uh, who I also graduated at that age, and one of them was also already a talented dancer. And she is currently a principal ballerina at a big city ballet company. Another one uh, was a talented musician, and she has now several CDs out, and she's making her way as a successful musician in New York City.
0: So I'm glad you mentioned those, because I think athletes, musicians, and artists are often the kind of kids who get an early start and need an exit from high school. And I think that's been happening for a long time. And I want you to address the concern of parents who have kids who are homeschooling, unschooling, being self-directed learners, who don't show some sort of, of serious uh, aptitude or inclination for one of those fields where where traditionally you can show that you're really good at something without formal credentials. I think that's the nature of, of sports and arts and music. So what about, you know, it's video games. Everyone is concerned with video games. And have you worked with any kids who have been really disillusioned by school and all they want to do instead of school is just hang out and play games?
1: No, the simple answer to that question is no. Hmm. I don't recall any such student. Hmm. Um, I can tell you the story of another student who, you know, is not world class anything. But And I really hesitate to use that term because I don't like this hierarchy of saying, well, so-and-so is living a more important life than somebody else. I don't know how you measure the importance or the worth of a life. And I don't think it's possible to do that. Um, I was very impressed a number of years ago by reading a book on chaos theory. And I came away from reading that book convinced that whoever we are and whatever we do in our life, we have a tremendous impact, most of which we will never know about. Our actions ripple out in the world. They have effects that we can't measure, that we never know about, we never hear about, and we simply don't know how living our life affects anybody else. Um, That said, I can tell you about a young man who went to the local high school, the one where I taught, um, and... uh, was disillusioned. He didn't like it. He couldn't sit still. He wasn't interested in what he was learning. He was a hands-on kind of person. And um, um, his mom finally understood his distress and homeschooled him for his senior year. And then he came to me solely to get a diploma, which I provided him. Uh, Again, it's not traditional. It's pure narrative. And he took that diploma. He was holding down a job. I think it was pool supply company at the time. And he looked around and he did a a serious survey of what he could do to make a decent living. And he decided that it would be an HVAC, um, heating, ventilation, and air conditioning. And so he took a test. He did really well on the test. He took another test. He did really well on that test too. And he was taken on by a local company as an apprentice. I moved into the house that we're sitting in. Uh, My office is a converted half garage and it's attached to the house. And my wife and I moved into this house four years ago. And we moved out of a house that had wall furnaces, didn't have a forced air furnace like this house did. So and we had bought this house five years before we moved into it and rented it. And it never occurred to me that the house had a forced air furnace that needed maintenance. So we moved in and I woke up and I said, Hey, this furnace has not had any maintenance for at least the last five years. I need to get it maintained. So I called up a couple of companies. No, they couldn't send anybody out here for months. So I finally called the third or fourth company and they could send somebody out here fairly quickly. So I called him up. This young enthusiastic man came up, uh, the furnace is behind me in the office that we're sitting in, it's behind louver doors. Um, and so he opened up the doors and he went to work. He, being very competent. He knew exactly what he was doing. He was very patient in explaining to me what he was doing and what I needed to do between visits, which I haven't done, um, and uh, did the work. I was sitting here at my desk in the office while he was doing this, and he turned around, and he was writing out the receipt, the bill, and he looked. And I don't know what he saw on my desk, but he said, Is this Beach High School? And I said, Yes. And he said, you graduated me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What a wonderful story.
1: And that was the first or second year of his apprenticeship. And we have asked him to come back every year, uh, which he's, which he does. And he told me in this initial conversation that he has the opportunity, especially he, if he moves over the mountains in the Silicon Valley to make a six figure income. Uh, He's not going to become world famous, at least as far as I know, he's not. Um, But he's doing work that makes him happy. And my favorite aspect of this story, I haven't got to yet. He could not sit still in school. Because as an apprentice, he has to go to weekly, or he did. He may be finished with this by now. But he had to go to weekly, eight-hour-long classes. He had absolutely no trouble sitting Mm, still. uh And I think the interpretation is really easy. He was learning stuff. He wanted to learn And it accompanied and was the foundation for doing the hands-on
0: kind of work that he loves to do. No problem. It was meaningful. It was relevant. He saw the path between this learning and work that he could be doing in the near future. And so, yes, I'll get up early to go to this eight-hour class, and I'll focus the whole time. Exactly. And I have a reason to do it, as opposed to the majority of, of high school classes. Right. Why am I here? How will this benefit me? Exactly right. No good answer. Right. All right, Wes, I'd like to zoom out a little bit. I want to get your take on what you think is the the fundamental problem or problems behind compulsory education.
1: I think it's twofold. I think number one is coercion. You have to do this. We didn't ask you what you wanted to do. You have to do this because we say so. And I think closely related to that is what is it that people are being being coerced into doing? And some California high schools. Every student, regardless of their talents, regardless of their interests, regardless of what they see their life becoming, have to meet the entrance requirements for the University of California. There is an organization in this county which says that its goal is to make sure that every high school graduate
0: is college ready. And that means a number of years of English, of social studies, math, foreign language, et cetera.
1: Right. And to me, that's just crazy. And one very, very, very practical consideration, which I don't think is the most important one. But if you say that everybody in this country should go to college, where exactly are you going to put them?
0: Well, we'll have to build
1: a thousand new colleges, obviously. But but more than a thousand. But obviously, that's not going to happen. Uh, But I think much, much, much more important is in the examples that I've already given, um, an HVAC guy. Uh, in apprenticeship, doing hands on kind of work, a dancer, a photographer, an artist, a musician, an athlete, uh, that college preparatory curriculum has very little to do with what they want to do with their lives. I mean, I don't think my principal, my, I don't think the, young, the woman who has become a principal dancer with a ballet company goes out and worries about trigonometry problems, for example. I don't think that has anything to do with how she's spending her life. And so people get locked into this primarily academic education that's pointing them toward going to college, and it may have absolutely nothing to do with what they want
0: to do. Just to play devil's advocate here, what about those ones who think they want a career in the arts or in becoming a professional rock climber? And then they fall on their faces, and they need to have this this backup uh, place to go. Essentially, they need to go into a four-year college to then have some meaningful possibility of getting a real job soon after.
1: Well, I realize that finances come into the picture. But uh, theoretically, at least, the solution is very simple. You go off in a different direction. Well, first of all, I want to say, and this may be unrealistic, it's the way I've lived my life and it has worked. But my belief is you plunge into the things that you really care about. And you see if you can make a go of it. And I think plunging yourself into it is one way to, there's no insurance, but it's one way to increase your chances of making a success of whatever you want to do, instead of going into it half-heartedly. But one great thing is that if you go into something and it simply doesn't work out at all, You can always start at a community college, regardless of your background, and go to medical school if you want to. And I've known people who've gone to medical school in their 40s and 50s. That's not typical, obviously. But you can always start over. You can always begin an academic education if you want, at any point in time, by starting at a community college and going on from there. And I've told my students over and over and over again that, look, uh, at any point in time, right now, 10 years from now, any time... You can start at a community college. It doesn't matter what your academic background is. You can go to school. You can go on to a four-year school. You can go on to a professional graduate school. You can do anything you want to do. And I think along with the coercion and along with the mandated more or less college prep curriculum, there's an attitude of, and I'm sorry to say this, but of not respecting students. And I want to tell you a story in connection with that. I went into the mail room at the high school where I was teaching way back when, and there was a brown paper bag in everybody's mailbox, and I thought, oh goody, a free lunch, and of course I should have known better. So I opened up the bag, and in the bag there were 25 blue and gold buttons with a blue knight on a gold background, the school colors, the school mascot, and there was a note in the bag that says I was to return to my classes and give a button to all of my worthy students i thought that was a really really destructive message because the implicit message which is pretty clear is that well 125 of my students who don't get buttons are not worthy so i went around to um, places where i didn't think these buttons were going to be used i went to the cafeteria i went to the registrar's office i went to the library And I gathered up a whole bunch of buttons and I went back to my classes the next day and I said, okay, I want all my unworthy people to please stand up. (laughs) And nobody stood up because I didn't think even if people didn't feel worthy, they weren't going to embarrass themselves by standing up. Well, nobody did. If somebody had stood up, I would have said, please sit down. So I gave everybody a button in every one of my classes and I read the note and I told them where the buttons came from and I told them why I was giving everybody a button. I left school that day and I was still angry. So I went down to a a shop in a nearby town and I ordered a whole bunch of buttons that said in red letters on a white background, worthy person. And I took those back to school and I began handing them out right and left. They sometimes had to do with accomplishment. They sometimes had to do with uh, people being down in the dumps. They sometimes had no reason whatsoever I just passed them out, right and left. And I can't tell you what kind of effect that they had, but I decided one morning that, well, I'm asking my students to do this. I really ought to do it myself. So I pinned one on myself, and I thought, wait, wait, what am I saying? This is an advertisement to the world that I'm a worthy person. Is that true? And I had to think that through, and I had to take stock before I was willing to wear this button School And I figured that, well, maybe the students are doing the same thing. What really came out of this, which I think is even more important, is from then on for many years until I left the school, I started heading daily handouts with dear, worthy person. And my favorite story about the fallout from that is in subsequent years, for two years, I was running a program for at-risk students. And I have to say that they were at risk because the school put them there. They were doing wonderful things. They just weren't academic things. But they were at risk as far as the school was concerned because they weren't getting good grades academically. On the first day of one of those years, one of the young women in my at-risk group was hiding under a table. And I took that to mean that she really felt uncomfortable and shy and way beyond shy and who knows what else that prompted her to feel that she had to hide under a table. Two years later, that very same young woman was really unhappy about something that was going on at school. And she wrote a letter, a polite letter of complaint to the principal. And it began dear worthy principal.
0: (laughs) So Wes, to wrap this up, I want to make sure everyone knows that you have two books One is called Forging Paths and the other is called Self-Directed Learning, Documentation and Life Stories. So these are both uh, stories and accounts of the students who you've worked with and practical advice for how to do what you do.
1: That's right. Um, Forging Paths is primarily about academically strong students. Uh, The other one, Self-Directed Learning, is um, much, much broader appeal. It has the story in it, for example, of the young man who's gone into HVAC. And I tried, I actually made out a chart when I was halfway through that, writing that book. And I tried to make sure that there was at least one story of every possible kind of future after homeschooling Mm -hmm. or after high school. Somebody who didn't go to college, somebody who did, somebody who went to a short period of high school, some for college, and got a two-year degree, somebody who got a four-year degree, somebody who went to professional school, It's a very, very, very broad array of stories of all kinds of accomplishments that you can possibly imagine. And it also has a chapter and more about writing transcripts. And of course, there are barbs and comments from me about schooling and what it might be. And I also want to say that anybody who wants to contact me to ask questions can certainly do that. You can find me at beachhigh.education. Uh, I don't charge any fees for brief consultations or answering questions. If anybody wants to, any student wants to enroll with me, I'm happy to do that too. But as I've already pointed out, homeschooling families, at least in California and in many other states, uh, can do exactly what I do. They don't need me. Um, And um, I guess the final thing I want to say is it has taken me years and years and years and years to shed all of the conventional assumptions about what school is about. And I realize that's difficult. I realize that it permeates our society, that the standard way of living your life is you go K through 12, you go to college, uh, you find a partner, you get a mortgage, maybe have kids, get a career, and that's what life is all about. And this is what you did too. That's exactly what I did. And it doesn't have to be that way. There can be a large gap between homeschooling or high school and college. There can be no college. Uh, There can be going to college early. There can be going to college. I got my master's when I was in my 40s. There's just all kinds of ways to live a life. And it doesn't depend on necessarily formal education at any point. High school is certainly not necessary to do anything beyond high school. I've proven that with 1,500 of my graduates. And, um, Think creatively about your life, think creatively about your kids' life, and pay attention to where passion lies. I think that's by far the most important thing is what are you really interested in? Is it conceivable that you could live a life devote devoted to that? It doesn't necessarily have to turn out to be a life. You know, I know people who've gone in one direction and rapidly changed and dramatically changed direction and gone off something else. When my wife was young, she worked for a doctor and that doctor gave up medicine and became a potter. On the other hand, uh, in the very first school I taught at, which was a junior high school in Los Angeles, uh, one of my students' fathers had decided, I don't remember what he had done prior to this, but he must've been at least in his forties. He went to medical school. So he'd lived his life up until 40s and then decided, hey, I want to be a doctor. So he went to medical school. Um, One of the wonderful things about education in this country, as much as I criticize K through 12, is that it's extremely flexible. You're not going to get tracked unless you allow yourself to be. And you can go into it, go out of it uh, throughout your life if you want to do that. You can do what I did. You can go straight to college and then Decades later, get a master's degree. You you can skip high school. You can be a homeschooler. You cannot go to college. Then you can go to college or you can go to college right after homeschooling. Whatever you want to do, our education system makes it possible.
0: I think your contribution has been very unique, just acting as this opener of doors who lets kids who are done with traditional high school exit and immediately start doing something that's much more engaging for them. Exactly right. I I have no doubt that you've made a huge impact on these 1,500 students and more to come. Well, thank you. Thanks for being here, Wes. Absolutely.